uh, to God's inerrant word. This is Revelation chapter 17. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And this is a call for a mind with wisdom. For the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And as for the, for the beast, it was and is not. It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns you saw, they are the beast. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast will hate. They are the beast which will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So if you know me at all, you know um, that I have one of my one of my hobbies. I have a fascination with the Titanic. It started when I was about ten years old. Uh, kind of comes and goes. I, I get into it more or less as as the years go on. But um, uh, 
but I've always been fascinated with that event. And, and it's an event, even though um, there have been hundreds of shipwrecks, there's even been, you know, there have even been shipwrecks that have been worse than the Titanic. But there's something about the Titanic that, that still captures our imagination 108 years later. And a big part of that is, um, is the shock of it. The shock of the Titanic to the modern to the to the early modern world was was so great. It was it was thought that it was thought that the Titanic was unsinkable. Uh, people really thought that that after they we'd experienced uh, you know at that time a hundred years of, of general peace and a hundred years of advancement, a hundred years of conquering nature to the point where people seriously believed that we were now masters over nature, masters over the creation, uh, and that our accumulated knowledge and wisdom and power over creation was unassailable. Uh, and so there was terrible shock when everything we believed in, everything we thought was beyond harm, everything we thought was good, true, and beautiful. Really a thousand years of human achievement embodied in, 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 uh, in that ship. It just vanished under the waves in less than three hours. It was crazy shocking. People just didn't know how that could possibly happen. It was so shocking that the, the ripple effect of it, uh, the shockwaves of it still affect us and, and pull on our hearts now. And there's more to it than that. You know, in, even the, in the movie that James Cameron made in 1997, uh, there's another, another shocking aspect of it is uh, the, the main character, Jack Dawson, he wins his ticket in a poker game. And he thinks that he has literally won the lottery. He's got a chance to go back to America and seek his fortune. And as he gets on the most beautiful and luxurious ship in the world, uh, he's rubbing shoulders with millionaires. He meets the girl of his dream who also happens to be a millionaire. Uh, and he is convinced that he, uh, that he is convinced that he has like won the lottery and nothing could ever be better. That he is literally a king of the world. Uh, he has, the big payoff has come for him in the American dream. Uh, he believed all of that until the moment the iceberg hit and he realized that, that all he really won was a ticket to his death in that shocking moment. And so why am I talking about the Titanic? It's a great storyline to kind of explain what's happening here in this, in this pass, in this passage. It's a picture of, of, of literally mountain after mountain of, of human beastly, bestial empire have come and gone, risen and fall, building off one another to a position of a seeming unassailable power and stability in the world, all crowned with the reigning paradigm, with the reigning paradigm of, of what the world thinks is good and true and beautiful and the religion that the world has created to tickle our own fancy and 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 capture our own imaginations and reflect the nature of our own hearts. Uh, it's a picture of a world and a world system that is so wealthy, so beautiful, so stable, and so assured that nothing could ever go wrong. No one could ever make war upon the beast until it did and until someone does. And so this is really a picture of 
the last great moments of the beast, the world system, of, of human achievement and power and, and the religious system that works along with it, the alliance of those things along with the governments of the world standing in opposition to God. It's this picture of it, the last moment of glory of those things and an introduction into what's going to happen to those things. Uh, as they face God and God wipes them off the face of the earth. And so here's, here's what we learn from this chapter. It's the big thing we learn. It's the big idea. Is that the allure of sin is so powerful it blinds us. It blinds us to its true nature. But Jesus is able to restore our sight. And the power and allure of sin is so great it blinds us to its true nature. But Jesus is able to restore our sight. So let's look at that one part at a time. The allure, <clears throat> the allure of sin, really the allure of, of the beauty of sin or the apparent beauty of sin. I used to have a pastor that used to always talk about uh, your favorite sin and he put it in those terms to kind of like bring out the reality that we all have sins that, we, that, that, that we're constantly tempted by because we're so drawn to them, we're so we're so drawn to them and enticed by them that they're our favorite sins. We see them, we see them as beautiful on the front end until we get caught up in them, and then we see them differently on the back end. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Um, and so, listen. What's, this is what's happening here. Um, John's mind is being overwhelmed. He's not prepared by what he sees or for what he sees. There's a, we used to do a hike every year where we would go and hike uh, to the top of Half Dome. And as we walked up the trail, as the sun was coming up, we walked through Little Yosemite Valley with two beautiful waterfalls. And there's a point in, the, a point in, that, in, that, in that hike that I, um, that I always look forward to where you reach up, you get up above the tree line, uh, and you come up onto a ridge and you can see Half Dome and the saddle of Half Dome. The valley floor of Yosemite moves out towards the west uh, and towards the east. It continues that way. You also see the Sierra Nevada stretching north and south. And the sky is so big. The sky is so big on a clear day. It's almost, almost incomprehensible. And what happened, every time I see that, what happens to me is I... There's a disorientation that happens because my mind is just not prepared. Uh, my mind is unprepared to take in the, uh, the beauty and the allure of that vision. Uh, and that's what's happening to John in this passage. Listen, listen to what happens to him. He, he says, you know, he's expecting, the angel says, come, I'm going to show you the judgment of the prostitute. And so I'm sure in his mind, he's expecting to see something hideous. And yet the angel comes and brings him and he sees this woman. And what does he do? He says, it says, John, in the Greek, it says he marvels a great marvel. Now that is not, that is not John's amazed by it or he's, uh, just amazed by it in a, in a way where he can't, you know, he can't believe how, you know, gross she is or amazing she is. That word marvel always in Revelation means like, it means, it means captivated of heart. It means, it means pulled into a state of worship. He's so captivated by the apparent beauty of this thing that his heart moves into a state of worship and he begins 
it begins to worship it, to desire it, to see it as alluring and enticing and as beautiful. And that shouldn't be a great surprise because what does she look like? The woman, at first glance, she looks, and this is on purpose, uh, she looks very much like the bride of Christ, the church. She has some of the same descriptions. She is... Uh, it's the introduction language that we see in, in Revelation 21 when an angel takes John again to a high place. Come, I will show you the bride of Christ. Same language. And when he sees her, there's the same, uh, some of the same elements, purple and scarlet, which was also uh, the decorations within the temple and the, and the garb for the high priest. Uh, she is bedazzled with gold and jewels and, and in fine linen. Uh, which we also see the church dressed in. Uh, listen, she ain't ugly. <laughs> she is not ugly. She is absolutely beautiful and radiant in her immediate appearance, so much so that John literally becomes disoriented in his mind by the beauty, and he is unprepared. He's unprepared to see it. And yet, and yet, she also looks like something else. She also reminds him of something else. Um, as we talked about a long time ago, in the first chapter two and chapter three of Revelation are the chapters of the churches, the, the present churches in Asia Minor, and they're chapters that speak of real things happening in real churches in the first century. Uh, however, those People, a mistake people make is to think that those are like, that's the beginning of the book where it talks about real churches and then there's a hard break and it goes into visions that talk about the end of the age. That's not true. They're connected. The real things that are happening to the churches and the things that they're struggling, the attack, the satanic attack on the real churches of the first century are then expanded on and shown, the truth of them are shown through all these series of visions that we see later. And so who else does she look like? She looks like the woman that John mentions or that Jesus mentions to the churches in chapter two. Uh, and this is happening inside the church. She looks like that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused. So listen, this is a picture of John is disoriented here. We're going to see, I'm going to show you in the next point, the angel has to smack him, wake up. He is disoriented. First, he is disoriented by uh, his mind is unprepared to take in the allurement, the enticement, the seduction of the seeming beauty of the woman seated on the beast. And yet, at the same time, his mind is disoriented because he begins to have those very first sparks of recognition in his brain. Uh, he remembers the Christians that he, in the first two letters, that he has been warning the people who are in the church and yet at the same time worshiping the deities of their trade guilds 
the same people who are worshiping Christ on Sunday and yet in front of their friends and neighbors worshiping the gods of Rome. The same people who are uh, participating fully in the culture and the ethics and the religious beliefs of the people in the world around them Sunday afternoon all the way through Saturday night and on Sunday morning they're worshiping Jesus in their hearts. Uh, they are the God is love people. It's the God of love crowd. It's the Christians in a prayer circle singing Imagine at Starbucks. Uh, it's the blending of soft white nationalism with Christianity. It's the abandonment of the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic for the American sexual revolution. It's the consecration of same-sex relationships in the church. John is disoriented because he's having the first sparks of very uncomfortable recognition that a great many of those people are not just misguided Christians, they are mystery, Babylon, the great prostitute, the mother of abominations, the apparatus of false counterfeit Christianity that Satan has snuck and put in place within the church to deceive, to confuse, and to destroy God's people and the world. That's disorienting. It's uncomfortable. Not saying that there are a great many Christians who are deceived by those things, who God will call out in his time. Next chapter says that straight up. Come out of her, my people. And yet he's faced with the very disturbing reality of who the prostitute is. It's counterfeit Christianity. It's created by the devil. And it's created to destroy. And here's the point for us. is if this Listen, if John... If John is taken in, if John is in, the, in, the, in a vision, in the presence of an angel, if it is so beautiful that John is captivated and drawn into it, how much more are we susceptible? How, how could we not be susceptible as well? And, and the truth is we are. Our own intellect, our own wisdom, uh, our own... Uh, there's nothing about us naturally that's able to protect us from that. It is so well constructed and it is so beautiful in appearance that it has the power to suck all of us in. And, uh, and it would, if the vision stopped there, it would, if the angel didn't go further and show John something else. And so let's get to the second point then. The second point is sin the allure of sin blinds us to its true bestial nature. An angel points out to John the true bestial nature of sin. I, uh, I used to have a, a big telescope, and I would go up on, whenever I would get depressed or discouraged, I would take the telescope up on top of uh, Mount Laguna, and I would look at stars and there's a lot of galaxies and, and nebula, a lot of stuff in space that you can see with a telescope if the sky is dark enough. 
And I would go up there and it would help me like, you know, kind of like chill out. Like, hey, man, there's a lot more going on than just this little problem, <laughs> right? And I would go up and look at it. And one of my favorite things to look at and find in the night sky uh, is an object called M51, uh, which are, it's a the scale. It's a, there's a scale of the 100 brightest objects in the night sky. And number 51 on that list is something called the Pinwheel Galaxy. And uh, it's, uh, it's just a great thing to see for amateur stargazers because it's really clear uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a galaxy that we're seeing from the, from the top down. It's a pinwheel galaxy that we're seeing from above. It's straight on to us. So you can see the center and you can see the, the, the pinwheels rolling out from the sides. And, and what makes it even more beautiful, it's not just one galaxy, it's two galaxies together. There's a smaller galaxy right next to it uh, and so the, the pinwheels swirl into this beautiful curving S, like S swirly shape. In fact, it's the, it's the inspiration for this tattoo, if you ever wondered what my tattoos are. This is, this one here is the pinwheel galaxy, the big galaxy that's the pinwheel, and then this is the smaller galaxy right next to it in kind of an abstract form, right? Beautiful to look at. However, if you were to put an infrared filter and look at that, look at the heat signatures of that object, what would you see would be intense heat. And why is that? It's because it's not just two galaxies uh, hanging out together. It's two galaxies that are in the process of colliding together with one another. Uh, and so those heat signatures tell us that as beautiful as it is from far away within that system, Within those two galaxies colliding, they are colliding with all of the violence and destruction that you would expect from the gravitational force of a thousand stars ripping themselves apart. It's beautiful from far away, but you wouldn't want to be there. You wouldn't want to be in the mix. And so this chapter is kind of like an infrared filter on the great counterfeit Christianity. It shows us what it's really like behind the surface beauty. It snaps on that infrared filter so that we can see the heat. And what is the heat? Listen to what John does. This, this I'm going I'm to prove to you that John is mesmerized by this. The angel, this is what the angel says in, in verse 7. The angel rebukes him. The angel says, and it goes, there's the verse. It says, and the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast. It's not, you know, we read that without really understanding it, and we see the angel, the good-natured angel, look down at John and say, why do you marvel, John? I will show you the mystery. Uh, that's not what's happening. John's heart is being captivated, and he is tempted and wanting to worship this thing, and the angel says, snap out of it. Why are you marveling? Why are you worshiping this thing? Let me show you what it's really like. Let me show you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. Translation, Wake up, fool. <laughs> Wake up. Let me show you what it is that you're being tempted to worship right now. And he shows us. It shows us the beast, right? Seven heads, ten horns. Where's that from? Chapter 12. It's Satan. It's the devil. The power behind the beauty of this woman is that same old beast that we've been talking about. That socioeconomic power structure of, of, of 
Just everything that man does when we collectively get together to blow ourselves up and forget about God and in so doing cause great harm and worship ourselves and all the alliances that we make between uh, culture and uh, economic forces and governments uh, and philosophy and the arts and all that together that we put together to steal worship from God and deceive people into believing that acts that are actually really self-centered are beautiful so that those acts then go out and hurt other people. And we do that together in big groups and we do it together individually against one another. John, what he wants to show us, what the Holy Spirit is showing us is the bestial nature of the world system and the world religion. He wants us to see it for what it is, right? Now, look, quick side note. I'm not going to get in uh, to all the seven heads and the seven kings and the seven kings that are actually mountains, but they're kings and they're not actually, the beast is itself another king and then there's seven of them, but there's eight. I'm not gonna get into all that. We've already talked a lot about that. What you need to know is that those numbers are always, always symbolic in Revelation. Uh, and so this is a picture of one bestial empire, one mountain, one empire after another, parading through world history, holding up the values of the beast in culture, in religion, in, um, in all the doings of man. It's going along until a final empire, the eighth, symbolized by ten kings, which means fullness, are going to create a final ultimate bestial empire and a final antichrist who reigns on earth. The church has been decimated uh, just like the Titanic and everyone will celebrate a thousand years of man's glory and achievement in great luxury and power. That's the picture. However, maybe the saddest part of this whole thing is verse 16 where it says at the very end, did you catch this? It says, at the end, they, the ten kings, the beast, the ten king and the beast, the ten kings, the forces of evil, and the beast, they will hate the prostitute. They'll hate the counterfeit Christianity. <laughs> they'll hate. Uh, they'll hate the world religious system, and they will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. There's going to come a time when. When the beast in the world system doesn't even have the need for the shell of religion anymore, on the beast that she worshipped, the beast that she uh, admired so much, is going to turn on her and tear her apart. That's what Satan does to his followers. And that's what people who worship and follow the beast have to look forward to. It's terrible. God, look, the whole purpose really you could really say in a big way the whole purpose of these visions that God gives us is to blow away that uh, is to blow away the smoke and to help us see what the beast is really like when we're temp when we see these ideas bandied about in the world about God is you know God is love and he would never judge anyone and you know God and uh, that God the truest way to know yourself is to see how you feel about yourself inside and then follow that dream. Uh, 
that, that happiness is found from, from compiling great wealth together, that happiness is found by being able to express yourself in whatever sexual way you want. All these ideas that are part and parcel of the beast and the false religious system are ultimately destructive in and of themselves and eventually uh, they're wicked. You know what it's like? It's like if, if you came across, look, if you, came, if you were out in, 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 in the plains in Africa and you came across a pack of starving wild hyena, what would your response to those be? To the bestial nature of that pack of hyena had one goal in mind, which was to eat you for lunch. You would have one response to that, and that would be run. Get away from it as fast as you can. And that is what God is trying to present to us, that these things, the true nature of them, it's not beautiful. That's the trickery. That's the enchantment. That's the spell. The reality is, underneath that spell, it's bestial. It's like a pack of hyenas. And God wants us to run. Yeah. He doesn't just want us to run. He wants us to run, for sure. But he also wants us to warn, to speak truth and love. And that's where it gets hard, because that's where, that's where you expose yourself. It's one thing to see it for bestial and run from it. It's another thing to go to other people who are being taken in by it or other people who are fooled by it and and in and, and patience and in love and in kindness and in gentleness and respect, expose it for what it truly is. Because when you do that, that's when you incur the wrath of the world. When you point these things out, that's not love. That's your desire to be loved. That's not truth. That's an expression of our fallen nature. Um, when you try to bring that thing to other people, that's, that's where you expose yourself to getting in trouble. But God calls us to do it. That's part of being faithful and being faithful witnesses. I heard this story uh, once. It always stuck with me. This paramedic had talked about that when he used to come upon accident scenes and when people were stuck in cars or severely injured and they were bleeding out and he knew they were going to die, people would always ask him, am I going to die? And he would say, no. He would say no and he'd sit with them and stroke their hair and hold their hand and stroke their hand and say, no, you're going to be just fine as the life bled out of them. And then one day he had a realization and he's like, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to tell people the truth. And he came to an accident scene and there was a, a woman in her 30s that was stuck in this car and she'd had a femoral artery laceration she had kids. She had a wonderful life, and she asked him, am I going to die? And he looked at her in the eyes, and he said, yes, you're going to die. And remarkably, he said she took it surprisingly well, and she was able to come uh, to terms with what was happening to her and say her goodbyes to her family and, and do what was, what was necessary in that moment, right? I fear that we as a church overall, especially the conservative evangelical church, we've gotten to a point where 
Um, it's easier to lie. Or sometimes we've been just confused by the beauty and lure of the prostitute. And so we end up lying to people. I know people, they're some of the most wonderful people that you would ever want to meet in every other way. And yet when it comes to certain areas of sexual ethics and certain areas of the Bible, what Paul and the New Testament writers say straight up, do not be deceived. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, whether it's because they have a desire to be loved, whether they're afraid of the rejection they might receive, whether they're afraid of whatever, they, instead of speaking truth, they sit with people and stroke their hair and rub their hand as they bleed out and they say, you're going to be just fine. That's not love. That's bestial. Well, we need to get to the point where we have the courage of the Spirit to knowing the truth and knowing our security in Christ uh, and foregoing the idea that we are going to have friendship with the world. We speak in gentleness and truth, but we speak truth. Yes, you are bleeding out. Yes, you are going to die if you do not repent. And God promises us what? His sheep will hear his voice. And people may hate you for saying that, but his sheep will hear his voice. And that is how God calls his people out of her. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next week. So listen, um, so summing up to this point, the devil has constructed a false, false versions of Christianity. He's done it from the beginning of time until now that seem so beautiful to us because they play on our heartstrings and they play on all the ways that we have unconsciously accepted the religious and ethical ideas of the culture that surrounds us uncritically. And yet those things are true in their true nature. They are bestial. They are destructive. And Revelation, in a big way, is meaning to show us those things. Um, and so the last point, then, is this, that Jesus, Jesus restores our sight. Now, maybe, you know, maybe you're listening to all that, and you're thinking, that sounds super scary. Um, how do I know that I'm not going to get caught up in this stuff? How do I know that I won't be lured in by the beauty of sin and enslaved to it? Um, I'm not so smart. I mean, I don't know the Bible all that well. Uh, and even if you do, <laughs> that's the awful part. Even if you got two theology degrees, even if you spent your life studying the Bible, we're still, we would still be susceptible to those things if it wasn't for one, one true thing. All of our wisdom, this is the scary theology part, all of our wisdom, all of our knowledge, all of our learning, all of our intelligence, None of that would be able to protect us from the allure of the prostitute if it were not for one thing. And this is a major theme through Revelation and through the whole New Testament. Listen to what Jesus says, or listen to what the Holy Spirit says in verse 14. It says the only thing it says about the church in this chapter. It says they, these are the kings, the kings of the world, that world power structure will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them, for he truly is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And here's us, those with him, that's us, 
are called, are chosen, are faithful. The reason that we are with Jesus and not allured and in and and ensnared into the camp of the devil is because we are called. That means that Jesus has called us by name. In in John 10, the verse we read for the gospel and that I've been talking about, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. He's talking about in a big way that he calls his people to himself. If, uh, if Jesus has chosen you, he will call you and you will come to him. That's a promise. Uh, and that Jesus chose us. We didn't choose him. I mean, from our perspective, absolutely. It looks like we choose Jesus, and that's a real part of the process. However, before we have any power to do that, Jesus chooses us. Ephesians 2 it says that Jesus chose us in him when before the foundation of the world. And the last thing it says that we are faithful, which means that our faith will hold out. Our faith in the real holds out even in the face of all the deception because Jesus is praying for us, right? Romans 5, it says that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces the proven character of our faith. And character produces hope because we know that our faith is true. And if that's true, that we will never be able to be snatched away from the Father. We will never be able to be snatched away from Jesus. And so this is, listen, this is, these are not just, when we talk about this stuff, this is what I want to, this is not just random proof text that we bust out here and there that we cherry pick from this and that. This is, this is the, the fabric of the New Testament that God has chosen his people for salvation before the foundation of the world, that we've come to Jesus because he's called us by name individually. We had such a great sermon about this years ago, you know, where God calls us by name. Uh, and and because of that, those things things are true. We know that the power of Jesus and His Spirit that is flowing through us is able to dynamically in real time. It's not just that Jesus puts a stamp on us. That, you know, when we accept Jesus, and no matter you know what happens past that point, it's insignificant or inconsequential. We're still being tempted by the devil. He's still trying to get us. But the reason we don't succumb to that, the reason that our faith holds, is because the new heart has given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and Jesus' voice cuts through the noise, and we are able to hear him and follow, and he gives us eyes to see, so that we don't see just the beauty and allure of the prostitute, of the counterfeit. We're able to see deeper. We're able to see the true bestial knowledge or nature of it, the poison of it. Uh, what will happen? What happens to people who fall into that? The enslavement of it. And so this is a promise. God's promise to us. And it's his encouraging, encouragement to us. You know, if you've gone through hard times, if you're going through this hardship, if you've been enticed by these things, uh, if the... the <laughs> If your favorite sin is constantly knocking on your door, but in and through all of that, if you continue to return to Jesus, if you continue to hear his voice and come back to him, if your life is a life of, of continual repentance and restoration, that's 
what the Christian life is, and that means you belong to him, and he'll see us. He'll see you through the rest of it. Amen? And let's be encouraged by that promise. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you. Your word is beautiful and powerful. Lord, we all get taken in by this. It's not just that there's those false Christians over there who believe these things. We believe it every week. Every week we're, 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 ca- we're captivated and we are... Every week we buy it, Lord. Every week we think that what we see on TV is going to make us happy. Every week we take...